Hello friends and welcome. This is episode 37 of Internal Budget. As always, it's Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com with you. And today the pre-draft content blitz continues. She covers the Ottawa Senators for The Athletic as their beat reporter, one of the absolute very best human beings and journalists in the business. She also has an awesome podcast with Graham Nichols, also of The Athletic, called The Common Sense Podcast, making her much-anticipated return to the show. Everyone, give it up for Haley Salvian. Okay, it's Sunday, so you may not hear much construction noise, but I assure you it is the Athletics' Haley Salvian here with us today. Haley, thank you for being here for the second time on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I don't think I'm ever going to live down the construction noise saga of 2020. Uh, That was probably one of my more embarrassing moments. Because when I heard it back on the radio, it wasn't even that loud. So it was just me being like, I can't hear you. come back to me and like no one else could really hear how loud it was except for me in my condo like plugging my ears screaming at the general manager of the Ottawa Senators so yeah I that think... was good at least it didn't happen at like the start of the season you know like I mm-hmm. had a full year for them to get to know my brand and just how you know that actually quite fits in with who Haley is as a person that this just happened <laughs> you know what I think the I think the post uh the post presser interview you did with Ian was actually probably worse for you and less people may have heard that so it probably worked out in your favor yeah. in the end oh yeah definitely. Uh, so the other day, the Senators trade for Josh Brown. Um, I think he was a guy that was probably, we'll say, unfamiliar with most fans of the Ottawa Senators. You wrote a great piece in The Athletic about it. But give Sense, player, or Sense fans an idea of who this guy is and uh, maybe why they shouldn't be complaining about giving up a fourth-round pick for him. Yeah, well, I think, obviously – unless you're watching the Panthers, like you probably won't know that much about Josh Brown. Um, He's a very, you know, defensive defenseman and he plays the senators and specifically DJ Smith's defensive style game. He's big on the box outs. He's big on, you know, clearing bodies from in front of the crease, you know, in the, in front of the goalie, excuse me, he's big on blocking shots. He's quite physical um, in his own end. And that's, you know, kind of like a Mark Borowiecki type player. Um, He is, I would say he plays that kind of style, um, but maybe without as much fighting as Boro had earlier on in his year. And, um, you know, maybe he will already kind of have that little bit of offensive game to him. You know, it's not going to take him however many years it took Mark Borowiecki to have, you know, finally an offensive presence. Um, And we all know you know, how great Boro is and, you know, how much I respect him. But I think that's kind of a similar, um, you know, at least defensive style um, to a better extent. I would say that Josh Brown's probably a little bit more, um, I I don't know if like finesse is the right word, but um, there's some similarities to the way that they play the game. And uh, in Florida, they play a completely different defensive system. So like everyone was looking at his, you know, 
underlying numbers and the advanced stats of what Josh Brown looked like in Florida, but Florida plays a front the puck style when you watch them play like they're not boxing out. They're not clearing out, you know, the crease with a goaltender. They're, you know, trying to get in puck lanes and it's a bit more of like a fast skating, more mobilized uh, defensive system. So I think you're going to see him fit in a lot better in Ottawa just because again, it's a similar defensive system. And then there's that familiarity with DJ Smith, which some people get kind of angry about, which like that is not a new thing. Like coaches go for familiarity and it's not like they got rid of a first round pick for a nobody, you know, Josh Brown is a good capable defenseman on the right side, which the senators need. Um, and specifically they need it this year, like getting rid of a fourth round pick at 95th overall that player was never going to play in the NHL next year. And that's what they need. Like they need bodies in the NHL next year. And if you're only getting rid of a 95th overall pick to get a body who can actually give you capable minutes on the blue line, I think that's, it's not a bad trade. It's not like stop the press. Oh my God, this is, you know, we're going to win next year. I say we, meaning Sens fans are saying that, not me. Um, But it's also not like, oh my God, why did we just do this? Like, I know that, like, Mark Stone and J.G. Paggio were fourth rounders, if memory serves me correct. I think Stone was but, actually later, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, or maybe he was, point. like, a fifth-round pick. Yeah, I, think I think he was sixth. fifth. Sixth. Oh, Mark Borowiecki was fifth. But, like, J.G. Paggio, like, guys mm-hmm. like that, yes, you can look to see that the Sens do really, really good in late rounds. But they have nine picks in the first 70. Losing 95 is not going to kill whatever the Sens were going to do in the draft. No way. I think the aversion to coaches liking players, unfortunately, is a leftover aftertaste from the Guy Boucher era when you had Gabrielle Dumont and uh, uh, Tom Pyatt playing big minutes in Ottawa. There was a lot of frustration coming from there. But going back to Brown, what role do you see him playing next year? Is this a guy who's going to jump right into the top pairing and play with Thomas Shabbat, or is he going to be a more bottom pairing, maybe even a seventh defenseman? Like, what can we expect out of Brown? Well, we can expect that he's going to play in the NHL next year. There isn't going to be, um, in my opinion, in that up and down. He's not going to be like, oh, am I in the minors? Oh, am I in the NHL like he had in Florida? He's, I think he's going to have a little bit of a, you know, he's going to be given a shot like most of these players that the Senators bring in. You know, I wouldn't call Josh Brown a reclamation project, but he's going to be given more opportunity than he's probably ever had in the National Hockey League. Um, and I think it depends, like, if the Senators – like it's it's tough because we haven't seen any of these guys actually play together since March. Um, so it's difficult to like project where we think he's going to play because we've never seen him play with Thomas Shabbat. We've never seen, you know, Artem Zub on the ice in North America, um, like on a North American professional team, right? So it's hard to think about what the defensive pairings are going to look like next year until we actually see these guys and see if they can put some chemistry together. I know I saw some stuff on Twitter about, you know, is uh, Josh Brown going to be Shabbat's like Mark Mathot, you know, because he is a defensive defenseman. So while he on most teams might be, you know, a low risk um, depth option, which is what I said in my story that like, I'm not ruling out the fact that, you know, what if he becomes the Dylan DeMello to Thomas Shabbat? What if he's that really great guy that will just be steady back there and let Shabbat go jump on the rush. We don't know that. That's the problem because we haven't seen any of these guys play in a very long time. So 
I think he's going to be a guy that can probably move up and down those defensive pairings, depending on where chemistry sees fit, um, depending on the game. I think he's probably going to play PK. He probably won't play too much on the power play, uh, but he did say he's a big PK guy. And again, with the defensive system from DJ Smith, um, he'll fit in with that style on the penalty kill. Um, you know, Josh told, I spoke to Josh and he told me that DJ had spoken to him and already said, like, it's very similar to our systems in Oshawa where we won a Memorial Cup. And I think if you look at any DJ Smith coach team, like he has tough guys like that, you know, that's a DJ Smith team with that defensive system, that tough, you know, work hard attitude. And Josh Brown's going to add to that. Um, I just don't really know what defensive pairing it's going to be. Um, I know that Graham Nichols, and sorry, I'm rambling, but I have so many thoughts. Um, I know that Graham Nichols kind of said in his story, like, and him and I were chatting, and he was like, yeah, well, this means that Zaitsev's going to be on the first pair with Shabbat. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I am not ruling out that Ron Hainsey is still going to be brought back. Um, I don't know if he will be. Like, that's not, don't read too much into that, but. I wouldn't say that this deal means that Ron Hainsey is off the table. So there's always the option that Ron Hainsey is going to be back to pair with Shabbat next year too. Well, so in Brent... all, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, well, I had Brent Wallace on the other day. And uh, one of the things he really stressed was how desperately this team needs veteran players. Uh, and actually he mentioned Ron Hainsey and says he believes that Hainsey's not going to be back because if he's, if he's correct in believing this, that, um, Sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. But basically what I'm trying to say is uh, Ron Hainsey's house is for sale, uh, according to Brent Wallace. So oh. it doesn't so it doesn't sound like he's going to be back, but, you know, that could be wrong, of course. In any yeah. case. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about Ottawa real estate. So no, I'll me neither. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they do need those veteran guys. Um, how many of those are going to come from internally? Like, I know it's weird to talk about guys like Chris Tierney and Nick Paul being vets and whatnot, but the Sens now have 17 guys that need a new contract. So who among them do you see coming back and who among them do you see maybe parting ways? Like we know Pierre Dorian doesn't negotiate through the media, but yeah. what's your sense? I would say that like the usual suspects will probably be back barring anything, you know, kind of crazy happening. I would see Chris Tierney being brought back. They need somebody who has more than a handful of NHL games up the middle. Like you can't have just like Josh Norris and, and Logan Brown and Artem Anisimov and uh, like and their Byfield. first round draft pick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like as amazing as Byfield I'm sure is going to be or Tim Stutzla. Uh, like that can't be your, center position that can't be your center depth so I would see Chris Tierney being brought back Anthony Duclair for sure Connor Brown I think Connor Brown is going to be like a really big piece um, of this young core in my opinion I wrote a story about it pretty early on about why yes Brady Kachuk is absolutely you know he's the star he's the one that the Sens need to lock in as soon as they can which we've now heard that that you know it's probably going to be a year before that happens um, but Connor Brown is is really important to this young core in this rebuild because he brings that young veteran leadership. He's only like 26, uh, but he is that kind of young vet in that locker room. He's paid his dues. He's played different roles. He's played up the lineup in, in Ottawa. He's been a fourth line grinder in Toronto. Like he's, 
He's experienced a lot. He's a really, really steady presence. He's a good guy, really funny in the room. The guys really like him. So I, I think that Connor Brown is going to be a really big piece of that, you know, insulating the young players. But at the same time, he's also not a guy like Ron Hainsey, who's had <laughs> however many years in the National Hockey League. Like, Connor Brown is that – that's why I call him that young vet because, like, he brings that leadership and he brings that veteran presence and he's going to be, you know, an important leadership piece in that room. But he's also not, like, the, you know, veteran guy like the Tyler Ennis, the Ron Hainsey that have played for a really long time and can kind of steer the young players. Um so I think some of that leadership will come from the Connor Browns and the Chris Tierney's. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I guess in terms of like other RFAs that I'm not sure I can be back, like I would probably not qualify uh, Andreas England. I just don't think he's done enough. He was drafted in 2013, I believe. That's seven years to get yourself a spot in the NHL. Um you either need to give him one more shot or cut bait. Um, either let him go and get the opportunity somewhere else or let him go play in uh, you know, Europe. So I, I would personally not qualify Andreas England. I think Christian Yaros is like a little bit younger. I wonder you know, if that's also a decision where they're not sure where they're going to go. Um, obviously, Nick Paul, I think, will be back. Um, I don't think you invest that much time into his development and then cut him after he finally grabs hold of it. Um. Who else? Uh, Jace Howerluck is another one for me where I think it depends on what happens at the draft and free agency. Like if they can make a trade for a guy who will play a similar role as Jace Howerluck, but maybe be like, uh, you know, a 2.0 version, like a little bit better um, for a longer term, then maybe they do that instead of qualifying Jace. But I think he did a good job in his little stint last year in Ottawa. And I, I think, you know, he, he got on well there, but I'm he's like the 50-50 line for me. But yeah, in terms of like veteran guys, like there's not anyone in that group other than Connor Brown that I would really say is like, that's your leader. Um, and you need more than that with so many young players on the roster. One thing we haven't talked a lot about uh, is the goalie front though. The speculation's mm -hmm. kind of ramped up over the last month or so. We don't know the health of Anders Nilsson. We don't know exactly what we have in Marcus Hogberg yet. He was impressive last season, but we don't know if that's a guy that can carry an everyday NHL starting role yet. Uh, mm -hmm. And Craig Anderson is gone. So how do you think Ottawa fills that need for a netminder? Do you think it's a Matt Murray? Do you think it's a Darcy Kemper? Do you think it's a Columbus goalie? Do you think it's nobody and they just kind of hope for the best with <laughs> Nilsson? Where do you think the Sens stand on that? Well, I think what's interesting and, and I, you know, was kind of knocking myself for not bringing this up either, but Anders Nilsson, even if he's healthy, he has never actually played a starting role in the National Hockey League. So not only is it his health that's in question, it's his ability to be a number one goaltender in the NHL. I think he's only ever started around, he's never started more than like 25, 26 games in the NHL. Um, Marcus Hogberg only has about 25, 26 games in his NHL career, maybe 30, depending. You know, I, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head. Like that's not a good situation to be going into. Um, you know, I think Nielsen and Hogberg definitely showed flashes that they could be a 1A, 1B tandem next year, potentially. Um, but yeah, with the questions around his health and um, then just the questions like, Marcus is a pretty young guy. He did a good job last year. Um, but like, is that, do you want two guys who've never played more than 30 games in one season as your starting tandem? Uh, I don't know. So, uh, you know, I heard Wally 
I think on TSN 1200, basically saying like, you cannot go into the season with that situation uh, with your goaltenders. And he's right. You, you can't. Um, so, but then obviously his health also adds like another big question mark, like their goal crease situation is just, you know, it's a huge question mark. It's a really weird situation for Pierre Dorian and the senators to be in because it's like, okay, so do we go out and get a guy, but then what happens if Nilsson's healthy? Then what do we do? We have three goaltenders all in one-way contracts. Um, and then we push everyone down the list in the minors, all these guys that we've used all of our draft picks and trades on. Um, so it's really interesting. And then it's, you know, do you get a guy who will be a stopgap measure or do you get a guy who's going to be your goalie for a long time? Like if you're looking at somebody who you want to be your starting goaltender for like a long period of time, like take the swing at Jacob Markstrom. Like he's probably going to be one of the big real deals, but I don't know if that's the situation the Sens are in again, because they've used so much capital to get these young goaltenders and they still don't really know what they have in them at the NHL level. So, um, you know, I personally, like we talked about this before and everyone like was mad at me for it, I think. But like, I was a Penguins fan as a kid. So like, I saw Matt Murray in his like heyday and I wasn't even a kid when he was playing really well. Cause like, we're the same age. Um, but like, I would agree that he's a bit of a reclamation project of sorts right now. Like, do you spend, Jim Rutherford wants a first rounder, it seems for him. Like, do you spend a first rounder on Matt Murray who hasn't had a good year in like two to three years? Like, yeah, he has two Stanley Cups, but what has he done since then? And, you know, there's an argument to be made that Marc-Andre Fleury did most of the legwork in those Stanley Cups. So it's uh, it's difficult. And then Matt Murray probably wants way more term. Um, like, Matt Murray's not going to want to be a stopgap. Like, he's probably going to say, like, no, like, give me, like, I want two Stanley Cups. Like, give me more term, give me more money. I don't think that's a situation the Sens want to be in. Um, I, I think like a trade for a guy like Corpusalo or Elvis Merceekins, I've I've heard that those two names, like Columbus is listening to offers on that. They both have one more a year left on their contract. So I and like their cap hits are fair. I think one of them is about four million, the other one's about two. So I think those guys, like they showed against the Leafs in the playoffs, like those two were a hell of a good goalie tandem. Um, specifically Corpusalo and Merzikins had a really great year too. I think he was actually on my Calder ballot. <laughs> uh, like, I thought he was great. Um, so if you can, like, make a trade for an Elvis Merzlikens who has one year left on his contract, which gives you that year with a, start, with, with, with a starting goaltender, and then if he plays really, really well, and then if you start looking at your goalie prospects and say, mm, maybe this guy's not actually going to be a starter, then you have the opportunity to qualify Elvis Merzlikens and give him a longer-term deal, and now you have your starter. Like, I just think that the Senators would be in a better position if they can make a trade for a guy who only has, like, one or two years left on their contract. Um, you're not handcuffed to the guy, but you also have the flexibility to decide, you know, this is what we want to do here. Uh, Darcy Kemper is, like, Arizona's top, you know, trade piece. So they're not going to let him go for anything less than at least a first-round pick, from what I've been told. So, you know, he's a good... He's a good goaltender. Um, but again, like, do you want to be locked into a guy like Darcy Kemper? I don't have it. I think he has like one or two years left on his deal. I think it's two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's again, it, it just depends on like, what are the senators trying to achieve here with their goaltending situation? Are they trying to get a stopgap or are they trying to get someone who can be, you know, a goaltender in Ottawa for a long period of time? Um, I also heard Wally talk to you and say like, they need a veteran goalie. 
And Craig Anderson probably would have been that veteran goalie, but they're, they've decided that they want to move on from him and grab somebody else. But yeah, it's just, it's a really, really weird situation. Like, I feel like I didn't answer that question at all, but it's just, no, you did. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, it's just so weird. Like you, you don't have a starter and like one of them who might not be a starter also might not be able to play. It's just very, very mm-hmm. strange situation. Like I'm not envious of Pierre Grew and, and Pierre Dorian trying to figure out, you know, what to do in the crease next year. Cause I it's think, not an insignificant position. <laughs> no, no. Especially when you're trying to rebuild and, and actually start gaining some momentum and start winning mm-hmm. some hockey games. Now, I think for me, there's probably a lot better uses for that first round pick than, uh, than a temporary goalie, but we'll certainly get yeah. to that. Now, pivoting towards the draft, because it's the biggest one in franchise history, it's the thing that's on mm-hmm. everybody's minds in Ottawa right now. A while ago, you analyzed the history of Pierre Dorian drafts and uh, mm-hmm. the tendencies that the Senators have kind of had. Uh, yeah. We know they like the CHL. We know they like Sweden. They've kind of mm-hmm. shown a little bit of favor towards the U.S. college program in the last little while. Do you see them departing from those tendencies and kind of going more with the consensus? Or do you think this is going to be another Pierre Dorian draft where we're seeing off-the-wall picks and surprises all, all around? I mean, are his off-the-wall picks actually a bad thing? Because if you look at some of those off-the-wall picks, some They've of them really have actually good. turned out yeah. very well. So do you want the Senators to, you know, go with the norm? Like, that's probably a... That's my follow-up question back at you. But no, I think um, it's interesting because, you know, Pierre Dorian was the primary decision maker at the draft table for a decade, basically, uh, just under a decade. And then he had a decade of scouting experience before he got to the Senators organization. And then now it's been Trent Mann for the last four years. So it was Pierre for about eight and then Trent Mann for like four. So in doing that story, it was it was interesting because I wanted to keep um, all of those data points together to have like a big sample size. But like Trent Mann is the primary decision maker at this table. Um, you know, obviously Pierre Dorian will still have some sway because he is the general manager. But at the end of the day, he's not out there scouting with everyone as much as he used to be. So Trent Mann has shown a few different tendencies compared to Pierre Dorian, which I think are pretty significant. Um, Trent Mann is is a little bit more on par with the way that the league goes towards the CHL, um, which everyone does. He's also shown that he'll go to a few other leagues, but in a different way than the league as well. Like he, in my story I had, you know, he went to um, like the tier two and tier three junior leagues in the U.S. to get some guys. Uh, He went to junior A, which turned out to be a pretty good pick in in Jacob Bernard Docker um, out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Um, He went to Finland. So I think Trent Mann has shown that he'll like go to other places. Um, But I mean, I don't know what they're going to do this year because obviously if you get the opportunity to draft Tim Stutzel at number three, you're not going to be like, nah, we don't have a scout in Germany. We're going to pass and go to the Canadian Hockey League instead. Uh, like I could see the senators doing some things differently because of the difference in this 2020 draft class. There's a lot more players in Sweden who are ranked really high. There's um, a couple of players from Germany who are ranked pretty high in the top, uh, like 30, uh, Lucas Reichel, uh, obviously Tim Stutzler, but then you have a Lucas Reichel, you have, um, JJ Paterka who would actually be around that 28 range. So I could actually see the senators like going to Germany a little bit more, well, 
a little bit more, way more than they ever have because they never have in the last 12 years. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that we can see some different things from the Sens, but I can also definitely see them continuing to draft, you know, pretty heavily out of the QMJHL and the, the Canadian Hockey League. You know, uh, they go to the WHL a lot. They go to the U.S. a lot. And that's, again, because of, you know, where they have their scouts located. Their European scouts are in Sweden and Finland. Obviously, they can travel from where they are, but those are their bases. So they're definitely scouting Sweden a lot more. Um, and they have a lot of scouts who are in like the U.S., like the Midwest, the Northeast. Um, they have one scout who just basically covers off so much. Like he'll do NCAA, he'll do high school, he'll do USHL. Um, and there's quite a few good players coming out of that U.S. national team development program. Like I wouldn't be surprised if their scout in the U.S. has been the one looking at Jake Sanderson a lot and saying like this guy is going to be something because they have scouts who have eyes on him all the time. So I don't know if they're going to do anything like crazy different than what they have, but I definitely think like we're going to see them continue on with their trends and looking towards the places that they traditionally do. Like, I don't see them just deciding this year, like, ah, let's look at what the league does and go back to that. Like I'll see, I, I think that they would continue the way that they have. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Either. No, for sure. Uh <laughs> I didn't finish my coffee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even but had yeah. one yet, so I feel you. Yeah, uh, good for you. I think, the, well, not really. <laughs> no, I think, I know. I think, like, good for you for actually being able to do this podcast without a coffee. <laughs> I think the one thing we can say with relative certainty is that they're going to take whoever's available at three. They're going to take Byfield or they're going to take Stutzel. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of who it's going to be there? Like, I think if you had asked me back in March, I would have said it was Byfield, but now it's kind of seems like it's going to be Stutzel or Stutzel or however you pronounce it. Um, Everyone says it differently. I know Stutzel, (laughs) Stutzel, but yeah. uh, And is one of those guys better for Ottawa? Like there seems to be a contingent of folks who like Byfield because he's the big center and he's that kind of prototypical first line center in the NHL. Uh, Is one of those guys better for Ottawa or is it a situation where you can't go wrong? I think I really like what they both bring to the table. I think you can't go wrong. Um, I know Corey Pronman did his huge mock draft uh, for like all the picks. And he said that the, from his sources with LA, it seemed like it was 65-35 that the Kings would take Stutzla at 65% or Byfield 35%. But then I was talking to someone else and they were like, like, damn it. Like, I just heard that now they're leaning towards Byfield again. Like it's, I would love to be on fly, be a fly in the wall on those like war room or basically like, like a hack into one of their zoom calls <laughs> so I could hear what they're talking about because it's a tough debate on like, who's going to be, you know, the better player and the better player for the Ottawa senators and better player for that specific organization. So, I mean, I think it's anyone's guess what LA does. Um, it does seem to me like they're maybe leaning back towards Quentin Byfield. Um, And, you know, talking to some people to me, it's like, I just don't know how you not, I just don't know how you have the opportunity to get by field and not do it Um, because of the upside and because of, you know, what he potentially could bring to the table. He is, like you said, that big center. Um, He has a great skill set for somebody of his size. And of course he plays up the middle and he projects to be a number one center. You know, a lot of people say, oh, the Kings have a lot of centers. You don't not draft a center because you have a lot of centers, because what if the one that's on the table right now becomes way better than everyone else you have? 
And that's been my argument for a lot of the fans who say, like, don't take Jake Sanderson because you already have defense. Well, what if Jake Sanderson's going to be way better than everyone you have except for Thomas Shabbat, you know? Like, I have a funny story about that, actually. I was talking to um, – it was on the 31 Thoughts podcast, and it was Jeff Merrick talking about it, like, a while back. And I always remember this, and this is something that I will definitely use if people, like, if they draft Sanderson and everyone gets angry. The San Jose Sharks – I forget which year it was. Oh, it was Chris Pronger's draft year. The San Jose Sharks had the second overall pick. They had the opportunity to draft Chris Pronger. And they were like, ah, we're going to trade down. We don't want Chris Pronger uh, because we already have a ton of defensemen. <laughs> they did not draft Chris Pronger because they had a lot of defensemen. And like, to me, like he's a hockey hall of famer. So to me, I'm not saying Jake Sanderson's going to be a hockey hall of famer. But like, don't turn down an elite player high in the draft just because you think you have a lot of them. So I think that's probably what some teams are, you know, struggling with at number three, because you're like, who's going to be that guy for us? Um, in terms of who's better for the Sens, obviously, they both bring a lot to the table. I mean, I really like Tim Stutzla. Like, I think his creativity with the puck, he has that ability to make a play out of nothing um, and just watching like some of his highlights, watching his games, watching some of his shifts and the scouting reports on Stutzla. Like I think he's going to be a center in the NHL. I know that that Trent man said that um, they're still kind of debating that, but I mean, I just think he brings so much to the table. Yeah. He's not as big as Byfield, but his playmaking ability, his puck skills, his skating is incredible. Um, Central scouting has a skating rate at 10 out of 10. And then I always go back to the one quote from, I think somebody gave it to Bob McKenzie at his uh, draft rankings show. And they said, if there's one player who's going to pass Alexi Lafreniere in the years to come in terms of how important he is to a franchise and how good he is in the National Hockey League, it's Tim Stutzla because of how good his skating is. So we hear from prospects all the time. Like it's, it's such a, you know, sometimes it seems like a cliche or a trope. Like you hear all the time, like, oh, what are the questions around this player? Oh, it's his skating. Oh, it's his size. Tim Stutzla, there is no questions about his skating. Like his skating is the probably one of the best in that draft class in terms of forward. So I really like that. If you can get a fast moving, like a really, really quick, um, really creative center to play up the middle with like Brady Kachuk, I just think that's going to make them lethal. But you could also say that about Quentin Byfield too. Um, if you can get a big center who can skate and make plays, like it, it, I just don't think you can go wrong if you're the Senators at number three. Like there's no way they can. Like they're going to win no matter what, at three at least. <laughs> Folks, I'm going to spare you a lot of pain. If you don't know who went first overall in that Pronger draft, please do not look it up because it will hurt <laughs> spiritually. Just ignore that part. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Uh, that was 92, right? 94, 94. 94. Yeah, no. Yeah, 93 or 94. Um, yeah, I don't I know. Remember. Yeah, before I my know. time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, wasn't, I was not alive. No, so. me neither. Before my time and it still hurts. Uh, <laughs> now, w there's been a lot of conjecture about number five. Um, I, I don't want to get too much into it because I know, I think it's fair to say you probably think the best player available for the Sens is going to be Lucas Raymond. Uh, based on everything you've said, you've written and everything you've said on Twitter. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about number 28 because, and I don't know why, but I cannot shake the feeling that the senators are going to trade that pick. I think to me, it's just so 
maybe I'm inflating its value a little bit because it is a later first, but like when you have so many needs as this team does, you need, you still need a top pairing right-handed defenseman, like nothing against Josh Brown, but I, I don't know if he's a top pairing right-handed defenseman on a Stanley cup winning team. Uh, no. You know? Yeah. Yeah. See, there you go. You need a top six center at least for the next few years because all they're so raw down the middle. Um, so what do you think happens with that pick? Do you think they make it or do you think they move it? And, if they are going to move it, do you have a sense of what for, like what they would be looking to get in return? Because if they trade it for a goalie, I'm going to scream, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Well, I think what's like, first, I think it's interesting because like there's not that much separation from the senator's third first rounder and their first second rounder. So I do think it'll be interesting to see if Pierre Dorian can kind of like swing something saying like, we'll just take number 33 instead of 28 because you're still going to get good guys here. Um, or if they trade 28, maybe the Senators see it as, yeah, we'll trade 28, but we're picking five time, like five picks later and we're still going to get a good player. Like those tiers there between like 28 to 35 are probably somewhat similar in the sense of what you can get in a player. So that's maybe, I wonder if that's like what the Senators are thinking about. Cause you know, Trent Mann did say like, we still think there's going to be a lot of good players, good NHL players in that second round. So, I mean, if they're thinking that, like, they've got 33 coming right up after 28, like, if you move 28 and then you pick five, five picks later, I, I didn't even count that. I'm just assuming it's five. Uh, <laughs> it's five. Uh, <laughs> I just sound real dumb. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I just wonder if the Senators maybe see that 28th overall pick, like, yeah, you can say, like, it's our first round pick but it's not that far off from what they're getting in the second round. So maybe the senators are thinking they can leverage the idea that, Hey, take a first rounder, but it's not, it's not that far off from what you can get in the second round, but maybe the sense can say like, give us more because we're giving you a first. So that's kind of what I've been thinking about in terms of them moving that first rounder. I do see um, like if they're going to trade a first round pick, it's obviously going to be 28. Pierre Dorian told James Duffy, like we're 99% picking both three and five. Um, I think a lot of people kind of lost it online when they heard that the Sens were listening. And I think that just goes back to the very, very big difference between listening to trade offers and negotiating and shopping trades. Just because a GM says we're listening, like it's, they're going to listen. You know, someone's going to call them, they're going to pick up the phone. They're going to say, oh, cool. Like hang that phone up. Like I'm sure Edmonton, like, do you know how many times they've probably had to listen to someone being like, I will give you everything I own for Connor McDavid. Like they're probably listening to that, but they're going to hang up the phone after. So I don't see the Sens moving three or five, but yeah, it's interesting. Like what they would do with 28, because again, like talking to people in the industry, like Jim Rutherford wants a first round pick for Matt Murray. Um, Arizona is going to want a first round pick for Darcy Kemper. Columbus is going to want a first round pick for like Merzlikens or Corpus Allo. So right now the starting price of goaltenders like that are going to be a first round pick. Um, that's the starting price though. Like obviously maybe they'll talk it down. Maybe they'll figure something out, but like if the Sens really need a goalie, I could maybe see them using the first round pick to get a goalie. I could also see them using that pick to package something to move up in the draft. Um, that's also an option. They could also like use that pick to like, I don't know, move down, grab something else. Like there's so many options. They have so much flexibility with these draft picks. And it's just, again, like 
getting inside their head and wondering like what it is that they think they need because we can make our assumptions and say what we think the sends need but if Pierre Dorian's like nah like then everything we're thinking is you know completely irrelevant right so I think it's an interesting question it's not really one that I like I have a firm answer to just because like I don't know what it is the sense think they need like yes they need an elite right hand defenseman they need a top center but I think the way you get that top center is at the number three pick Um, like I don't think you go out and trade for a number one center when you're about to get one in the draft like there's no way they're going to botch that pick at number three no, and not get no. a top center. So I wouldn't use a first round pick to get a, top, a number one C when you're about to get a number one C in the first round, but maybe you use it to try to get a right shot defenseman um, who can play mm-hmm. with Thomas Schott. Um Would you it, use that yeah. first round pick to get a guy who's not necessarily a number one center, but a guy who can kind of slot into that role for a few years. Like we've talked about Anthony Sorelli. Do you think it's a stretch to say he can play first line minutes until such a time where as a byfield or a Stutzel are ready to take on that role? Yeah. Well, again, I think it depends. Like, obviously I wouldn't say no to Anthony Sorelli in any no, of capacity. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, I don't think Tim Stutzel is that far off from playing in the NHL. Like he has a mature game. I don't think um, Byfield Trent. is either. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't like, mean to interrupt. No, no, no. It's okay. Like, I think that, and Trent Mann said this too, like, I think Stutzla is probably more ready than Quentin Byfield again, just because he did play in Germany. He played in the professional men's league when he's like 17, 18 years old. He plays a mature man's game. So, like, I think he would probably be more ready. So, I don't even know if you need a guy for that long to fill that spot. Um, like, I, I think, T, like, TSN's Craig Button said it too. Like, this is a guy who's going to play in the NHL like Alexi Lafreniere. He's going to be able to step in and contribute at the NHL level quite quickly. So, um, but yeah, like obviously if they can do something to get an Anthony Sorelli type player, then I think that changes, that changes things in your organization. You're not in that state of rebuild for much longer because you actually have all of your young pieces and legit NHL pieces now. Um, like you can't just corner the market on third line centers. I think Josh Norris um, projects to be a number two. And I think the, like the, in the resurgence, not resurgence, but cause it's not like he sucked for a while. He just got into the league. Um, like I think the emergence, that was the word, the emergence of Josh Norris, um, maybe changes things a bit. Cause like now you're not trying to fill a hole in the top six, um, in terms of up the middle, because you're going to get your top line center and then you're going to have your number two guy in Josh Norris. Um, and then you'll have you'll fill out the bottom with the rest of the centers that you've cornered the market on again that are kind of like third, fourth line depth guys. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like you could go out and get a number one center, but again, I think the way that you you do that is is in the draft. Because I think a top like you're I'm, like I don't you're just you're not trading for a number one center in the National Hockey League. Like no, nobody's giving you their number one center. And if they are, it's going to cost you way more than it's worth. So like, you're just, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm completely incorrect, but I, you just, you don't trade for a number one C you just don't. <laughs> no, you don't trade for franchise centers. You just trade franchise defensemen and right wingers. And uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in any case, uh, Haley, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you've got so much going on going into this draft. One more question I want to ask you before we get to the questions the listeners had for you. 
What do you think the over-under is on the amount of picks that the Senators are going to trade? Like, what do they have, 12 now? It doesn't seem likely to me that they're going to make 12 picks in this draft. So mm-hmm. do you have any kind of sense of how many you think they're willing to move, how many you think they will move? Like, I know we never know, but what's your kind of ballpark guess? Um, I'm going to guess that they're going to make 10 selections. So Good I could one. see them moving two more picks. So the first and then probably, what, like a seventh? Oh, maybe, yeah, or nine. Like maybe they'll move a second, the first, and then like a really late round pick. That seems like it could happen to me. Like I, I feel yeah. like, I mean, with this many picks, like how do you not at least move a few of them, right? Like you can't, you can't yeah. pick what, like 13 guys that are going to play in the NHL, especially with the need that you have right now on the NHL yeah. roster. Um, they're just paper thin. Sorry, I'm trying to pull yeah. up the listener questions for you, but technology okay. is fighting me as it's been fighting me it's, all morning. It's okay. I think it's interesting though. Like I'm, I'm working on this story with uh, Dom Luce-Chishin. He does a lot of our awesome analytics work at The Athletic. And we're looking back at like some of the organizations who've had like high draft value in the past. And the 2004 Washington Capitals made 13 selections. Like, was that, they was made, that Ovechkin's draft year? Yeah, so they got OV number one, and then they made 12 other picks. <laughs> they had two first-rounders, and they made 13 selections. So it's not unheard of for a team no. to make that many picks. No, and I'm but, not against it for sure. But, I mean, like I, it's like we've talked about, right? Like, who's going to play in the NHL this year? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I don't want Marcus Hogwarts playing. nine rostered players. So. Yeah, I don't, want, I don't want Marcus Hogwarts playing 60 games this year. Uh, in any case, let's get to questions. Uh, we'll fire them off kind of rapid fire here. Uh, yeah. Joe wants to know, he loves, uh, he wants to know what you think the cost would be to move up from 28 to the 10 to 15 range. Uh, would the senators consider using a second or more likely three second rounders to move up that, those spots and get grab a scar of or Lapierre? Uh, I think if they're going to move up to the 10, 15 range, you go for the, the goalie over Lapierre he's Lapierre was obviously injured for a long time and his draft stock kind of dropped because he's kind of that high risk high reward type player but if you're going to be using lots of your draft capital to move up to that 10-15 range you you hit on the Russian goaltender like I've heard he's like the real deal he's going to be an incredible starting goaltender in the National Hockey League so if you move up like you take the goalie um, don't take a shot at a high risk, high reward forward, especially when it's going to cost probably quite a bit to move up that high. You're going to need that first and maybe like a second and maybe something else. Like maybe that's where they trade a bunch. Like I just don't see a team who has that pick at number like 12, 13, where Askarov probably goes being like, yeah, give me 28. That's cool. Like you're going to need to package at least one or two other things into that to move up that high. And there's quite a few teams in that range who desperately need starting goaltending. So there's going to be teams in that range who are like, no, we need Askarov. Like, mm-hmm. screw you. We're not giving you him. <laughs> like, you already that aggressively. Have well, like, you already have 12 picks. Like, back <laughs> off. Like, let us make this one. So that's kind of, <laughs> like, it's it's possible, definitely. But I it, it'll cost quite a bit. Um, and, yeah, again, if you're if you're making that move to get Askarov, like, it, you're going to have to get by the teams like Carolina, like Minnesota, like Nashville. I think Nashville was one of the teams that mm-hmm. Corey Pronman – having his mock draft taking him like there's a lot of teams who need that young like he's going to be really really good once he's ready type goaltender so you're going to be like fighting a battle with a lot of teams in that range 
Um, but yeah, I think it would cost, it would probably cost the first, a second, and maybe something else. Scott wants to know who's the player that surprised you the most since arriving in Ottawa, either on the ice or off. Hmm. Honestly, I'm going to say Mark Borowiecki mm -hmm. um, because everything, like when I first started in Ottawa, like I remember, and I remember it so clearly, like I think I gift something um, like Borowiecki did something like incredible. Like he blocked a bunch of shots and this was early in the year before everyone started really liking Borowiecki and I gift it and I was like, resign this man. And like all of the replies were like, no, trade him. Like, boo, like, Haley, you're new here. Like you don't understand Mark Borowiecki yet. Like there was some legitimate Mark Borowiecki hate. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like nothing that I had experienced on Sen's Twitter about Borowiecki was like positive. It was like, oh, he's just trying to hit people he doesn't do much blah 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 and then he ended up like really really changing his game and like I was just based on the public perception of the game that Mark Borowiecki plays and then the way that he played was probably one of the biggest surprises to me um so I'm going to say Mark Borowiecki just because like everything online said that he did nothing and he sucked like they were so mean people were so mean to him like he deleted his Twitter account yeah. like because people hated on Mark Borowiecki so much you should have seen, um, so should have seen Cody Cece Oh, I'm from Toronto. Like I, <laughs> I still have like send. I still have like Leafs people on my account. Like, I feel bad for Cody CC. Like they are not kind. <laughs> that was the one thing I reposted. It was like the funniest thing ever. It was like a funny like TikTok or like a video someone made, and it was like Cody CC reading all your tweets, like knowing he's still making like five million dollars this year. <laughs> like yeah. he doesn't give a shit what you no. think of him but it's still very mean. People need to stop being so rude online. No, people need to relax. And that, that includes myself. That's something I've made a conscious effort to be better about. Uh, yeah. So uh, Poppy wants to know, oh my God, she wants to know what your favorite NHL mascot is. Don't ask for context, please. Just <laughs> My favorite mascot? Uh, like in terms of cuteness, like in terms of what they do? I don't, like, know. don't ask for context. I said just... <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to know. Do I want to answer this question? <laughs> yes, yes. That. No, you're fine. You're um, fine. I don't know. I think, um, like, I think Gritty's, like, a little too much. Like, obviously, he's funny, but he's not my favorite. Um, is there a really cute one? <sighs> I don't know. I think I, <laughs> I don't know mascots. Like, I'm not saying, like, I mean, you know what? I respect Spartacat for like standing up for like Duclair. I liked his Twitter game. So I'm yeah. going to say Spartacat. Like I, mm. I really respected the way he handled everything on Twitter with Black Lives Matter before the organization did. So I'm going to say Spartacat. We stand the progressive mascots <laughs> on internal budget. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, these two are kind of the same. Uh, so I guess these are the good ones to end on. What's your favorite part about living in Ottawa? Uh, that one's from Hammersends. And Jean-Claude wants to know uh, what's the toughest slash most part of moving fun to a new city for, or moving to a new city for work. So I guess those are kind of the same. So I'll let mm -hmm. you take the wheel there. Yeah, I think Ottawa is a great city. Like one of my favorite things about it is like you still have the like big city. You have things to do, but it's not as crazy as Toronto. Um, like you just don't feel it's just not as busy it's not as overwhelming like obviously I lived in Toronto for a long time so it wasn't 
all that overwhelming for me, but it's just like, it's not as busy. Like even Ottawa traffic isn't horrible compared to being stuck on the Gardner for no. hours of your life. Like I have fully, I've cried on the 401 before because it was so busy. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck in an accident for six hours. Ugh. So I cried. Um, because I was really hungry and tired. I have not cried on the highway in Ottawa yet. So that's probably one of the best parts about Ottawa versus Toronto. Um, it's tough though, because, you know, moving to a new city for work and, and just for me personally, like when I'm doing something, I want to make sure I'm, you know, doing it to the best of my ability. So moving to a new city while also being in your first year on an NHL beat and also wanting to like be really good at your job was very busy and in ways at times very isolating because, you know, you don't have the time to like go out and try to do things or try to make friends. Like, because you're at the rink, you're at home, you're doing research, you're on the phone, you're just working all the time. So trying to find that work-life balance while also trying to explore a new city, make friends in a new city um, was very, very difficult for me. Um, Like I didn't, like I did nothing like there was I went to Gatineau Park for the first time yesterday and I've lived here for a year now just because I haven't had time like I went for a walk in Major Hills Park with Ian Mendez uh on like a couple of days ago um socially distant we went for a walk and, and caught up that was the first time I've been to Major Hills Park and I've lived here for a year and that just speaks to how much time I spent at the rink and like in my house just like working all the time so that was probably the toughest part but the most fun part is just meeting people like Ian um you know getting to explore the city when you have time and and you know just being able to like yeah it sucked that I didn't have that much time to do things but I really love just like embedding myself into the Ottawa Senators and you know covering this team I feel like um, you know, I got a lot better as the year went on and I created better relationships with people within the organization, you know, players. I got to do features on Mark Borowiecki, on, on Brady Kachuk. That's like the most rewarding part of this job is just like seeing what you've been able to build from the ground up um, and seeing like concrete proof that like me being a hermit and working all the time actually worked. <laughs> So well, the, the effort you put in really comes through because you are the best in the business. And thank you so much for doing it, Haley. Like I said, I know you've got tons on your plate going into this week. So I really appreciate you making the time to do the podcast again. Yeah, no problem. I feel like it only went long because I ramble. So no, it's good. <laughs> <That's my laughs> trust, trust me, the people would much rather listen to you than listen to me. So it's all good. I got no problems with it. Uh, did you want to plug your social so that people can find you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I think it's just Haley.Salvian on Twitter. Um, Underscore, my... excuse me. I'm so bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should write, I should get a tattoo that has my Twitter handle on it. Haley underscore Salvian on Twitter and all my works at The Athletic, uh, Ottawa and The Athletic NHL covering the Sens. Make sure you check out her awesome podcast. It's the Common Sense Podcast along with Graham Nichols. Uh, (laughs) Thank you guys for listening. As always, make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, rate five stars, all that fun stuff. I hope you enjoyed. And we're going to be coming at you Tuesday morning, the day of the draft with Colin and Ari from Silver 7 Sens. This content blitz has been fun, but I also haven't slept in three days. So I'll be (laughs) glad when it's over. Please stay healthy, stay safe, and take care.